Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. And even as I wave my hand over this audience, in Jesus' name, do your work. Freedom and deliverance tonight. Tonight is the night it all changes. Tonight is the night that people break loose. Tonight they will remember. And in Jesus' name, grace, grace, grace be upon you. That it's not just a church service. It's not just one more evening. This is a night where the Holy Spirit's presence gave you the breakthrough. Praise God. Let's just give the Holy Spirit a clap. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, turn to three people and give them sort of a fist bump or some kind of a high five or something that says victory. And then you can never see it. Amen. Well, tonight I want to talk about the fact that Jesus can walk on water. I don't know if you didn't know that already or not, but uh, I'm going to tell you if you didn't, that it happened. It's in the Bible. In fact, it's in the Bible three times. It's in Matthew, Mark, and John. And they each tell it the same, but they each tell it differently. So tonight, we're going to look at Mark's version. Mark has a message. God can do anything. God can do anything. This is sort of the, the, the spoiler. Okay, spoiler alert. God can do anything. The message of Mark's version of Jesus walking on water is so that you know there's nothing too difficult for him. This is important so that you look at all the problems in your life and it comes under that. We know that Jesus has ascended on high. He's at the right hand of the Father with principalities and powers. All things are under his feet, right? That the name of Jesus is above all names. I have a friend who's an evangelist and he prays for the sick and he says, tell me what you have. And the person said, I don't even know what I... what what." What, what I have is called. He says, well, give it a name and know that the name of Jesus is over that name. So give your problem a name and know that the name of Jesus is over it. Give me back my PowerPoint now. Hold on. I don't want to look at me. I want to see this. The story begins with Jesus having just fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Okay, this is how it starts. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 46. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went on the mountain to pray. Now, you need to know something. Jesus loved to spend lots of time in prayer. I'm going to tell you a secret. You know the Bible never says that Jesus ever prayed for the sick. There's a shocker. What it says is he goes on the mountain to pray and then he comes down the mountain and he heals the sick. What does that say? That says spend time in prayer 
so that you are filled with God's power, with his presence, and that when you lay hands on people, they get healed. And I'm saying that because I know what happened this week. You know that, that movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer? I Know What You Did Last Week. You know, Alita, you said, you know, I can feel free to speak foreign. This is not the week to talk about foreign, okay? In fact, they don't even use the word foreign anymore. On 702, they talk about non-nationals. So now I have a new designation. I'm a non-national. Okay, great. This week, it rained. How many, how many of you saw the sun this morning and said, what is that glowing orb in the sky? Is it a sign of something? And here's the problem. When it gets gray, I mean, in a thirsty land, you'd think everybody would be rejoicing over the fact that we have rain, but instead, people get depressed. And I know it's happened with you and in your own home that you have been surrounded by people who've been short-tempered, people who've been sad, people who've been in a funk, people who just can't get right, people who haven't been joyful. You haven't been reading your Bible and you haven't been praying. Why do I know that? Because it's been in my office all week. Everywhere I turn, I find this to be the same testimony again and again and again. So it's not just you. It's heavy everywhere. That there's violence that has erupted in the city is symptomatic of a spiritual haze over the city that really is bringing our flesh up. Everybody's offended. People are offended over nothing. People are justifying their flesh. You've been doing it. Others in your life have been doing it. False accusations have been happening. People are just at each other's throats. It all ends tonight. Because we need to see ourselves as spiritual people who are overcomers. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, talking about Jesus, says, Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. You need to not wait till you have time to pray. You need to carve out a space for prayer, for spending time with God. And one of the reasons we don't do it is because our prayer times are powerless. If every time you went to prayer, you came out supercharged, you'd be doing it more. And I'm saying we need to break through in the Spirit. We need to pray in tongues. We need to just get into that place where we feel God's presence has arrived. Where it's sweet again. I'm not telling you to do a religious duty. I'm telling you to suck the sweetness of God. That you can genuinely say to someone, taste and see that the Lord is good. But back to our story. Mark 6, 47, 48. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. 
Now notice this. Jesus is watching what's going on. They, he, remember, he's the one that sent them ahead. And he knows a storm is coming. He knows what's going to happen. It's a good chance to say, I missed God when you're in the middle of a storm that you thought Jesus sent you out in. Because you think, if Jesus is going to open the door and say, come through, then the road will be smooth. If it's from God, it will be smooth. And a huge shock and a surprise to find out that God knows ahead of time that there are pitfalls, that there are lions, that there is wind, that there's waves, that there is danger, that there is, you know, all kinds of incense of evil. And that he sent us out there anyway. Jesus knows what's going to happen to his disciples, and it is a test. Your life has a test in it, and if you don't pass the test, then you don't get to make it to the next level. Welcome back to school. See this. It says, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Maybe you're making headway painfully. It's not that you're stopped, but it's just slow going, and you just feel like every step is a struggle. Remember, these were strong fishermen, and they're rowing and rowing and rowing. In fact, where they're going is like, I don't know, 15 kilometers that they have to row. You can see it on a clear day from one side to the next. But they're rowing for hours and hours and hours and they're not getting anywhere. And I've seen person after person that has said this to me. Chuck, I keep praying. I keep paying my tithes. I keep doing everything and I'm not getting ahead. Just as soon as I, I, I get a little money, something happens and it takes that money. I'm going to tell you something. God does not want you to meet your needs. Because he wants you to depend on him. You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He says that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. There's a shocker. God's strength is not perfect without you. God needs something from our lives, and surprise, surprise, it's not our strengths, it's our weaknesses. He needs our weaknesses to show that he's strong. If we don't need God, then the relationship falls apart. My life, by the way, is exhibit A, that God can raise up people not because of their strengths, but in spite of their weaknesses. Ek is a pastor in the meeste Afrikaanse charismatische kerk in the hele stad. Thank you, thank you. Nee, ek kan Afrikaans praat en verstaan, maar 
dis nie so makkelijk vir my nie, ek kan nie in Afrikaans preek nie, en by elke vergadering, pastoor Neville Norden, wil praat aan en aan en aan, en ek sukkel so baie, om te, te luister en, en, you know, concentreer, maar ek het a, ach man, limit, bepalling, what, what? Beperking, that's it, okay, that's it, beperking, dank. En, ek is no fair off, en, dan sal hy, aan my kyk en sê, wat sê die profeet? I don't even know what he's talking about. I say, um, Yania. <laughs> the all-purpose answer. Yani. Psalm 22, verse 24 says, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. This is the thing you must know. In your struggle, God has not hidden his face from you. And this is the, the, the thing I get from person after person. They say, Chuck, I need a job. I've needed a job for two years, and every time there's a job, as I'm about to take it, it's like it's jerked away. Why would God do that? Well, First of all, God doesn't do that. It wasn't God that did that. God is not the, the cosmic prankster. Puts the thing out there and says, you're about to take it. Jerks it away. <laughs> you should have seen your face. He doesn't work like that. That's let us, let, let's say it's, it's because of us. Let's say we didn't have enough faith. Let's say we didn't pray enough I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm saying I want you to be determined that you will not stop. God is like Google Maps. If you miss the turnoff, he reroutes you to get back again. You're not just stuck forever. God has not hidden his face from you. Understand this. He's not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He's not hidden his face. He's not angry with you. He's not determined to make your life a problem. When I was a kid, we did evangelism with the four spiritual laws. Maybe some of you don't even know they're worried. So you go up to the stranger, you say, did you know that there are spiritual laws? Yes. Just like there are physical laws like gravity, there are also spiritual laws. The first law is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's so nice to say that to someone. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But his plan for me, by the way, doesn't seem so wonderful. In fact, it kind of sucks. And that's how we think that God has, God loves the world, but he doesn't like my life. If God is love, then why does my life look like this? God loves me, how come I'm losing my hair? 
starting to look like Jean-Luc Picard or something, and it's just getting a little insecure about that. For Jesus to get to the disciples, he has to walk on water. He sees them in their struggle. And here's the bottom line, guys. He didn't want to get to them. He wanted something in them to kick in so that he would not have to come. This was their test. And they're failing it. In the second part of verse 48, it says, About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Now, the fourth watch of the night means basically between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. So it's almost the end of them. They've been rowing all night. They started late afternoon. Let's say they've been rowing for 12 hours, and they still haven't gotten there. So he comes to them, and notice this last line. He meant to pass by them. Why would he do that? What it says in Greek is that he meant to pass by them. It's translated correctly. I don't care how many pastors have tried to change it or something, because it's awkward there. It seems like that, that it's kind of rude. Bye-bye. Hey, row harder. It just seems kind of, you know. Again, that's not Jesus. So we, we think Jesus is loving enough not to be like that. So we're trying to find a way around the, the, the wording. But Jesus intends to just walk by them he, he knows they're going to see him. That's unmistakable. He has a reason for doing it. This, and, and Mark makes this clear in the Greek. Mark is making an allusion to the book of Job. Oops, sorry. Job chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. It's talking about God who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. The word trampled there is the same word Mark uses for Jesus walking on the waves. Who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, verse 11, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. He's trying to let you know that Jesus is God. Jesus is trying to let his disciples know something is going on here. If you see me walking on the waves, you should connect the dots and understand that the power to overcome the situation is already present. And they don't get it. They didn't get it when Jesus was not out on the waves. They don't get it when he is on the waves because this is the thing. The disciples should have understood that Jesus is God. This was the point. This was the, the, the whole deal. They were supposed to understand. They were supposed to believe. 
Seeing Jesus walking on water actually freaks the disciples out. Instead of making faith, it makes them have fear. Is what it says. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they saw him and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. They thought it was a ghost. Instead of being calmed, instead of saying, yes, it's Jesus, and he can do that, so what are we worrying about? Let us believe that God can calm the sea. No, they just started to, to, to panic. Oh, we're out here all by ourselves. We're going to drown. And now Jesus is a ghost. And oh. I remember when my daughter was feeling like no, none of the Mikeys at the creche would play with her. And she just started seeing the whole world coming to an end. And, and she said, nobody will play with me. And Britney Spears is on drugs. And, and she's just, I mean, she's just bringing everything in. You know, that sort of dates it when it was going on. The world is just upside down. Let's go back to Jesus' thing. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I. We must allow the presence of Jesus to drive fear away. If Jesus being with you doesn't calm you down, what will? If the fact that Jesus is with you doesn't all of a sudden cause faith to rise up, and make you feel you can do anything, then there's no hope. Everybody's favorite psalm, Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you're in the valley of the shadow of evil, you will fear evil unless you know God is with you. It says, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. People have talked many years about what is God's rod, what is his staff. I'm going to tell you my theory. I think the rod and the staff of God are the goodness and mercy of God that he mentions later. Because I know myself, when I'm in that dark place, when I feel like I'm surrounded by enemies, when I feel like I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I need to know that God is good all the time. I need to know that God is merciful. Sometimes I'm in that valley because of my own mistake, because of my own disobedience. And I need to know that God is merciful. Because I find too many times people think, because I disobeyed God, that's why I landed in trouble, and now God says, you want to be on your own? Well, now you're on your own. See how you like it. God is teaching me a lesson. Think, McFly, think. <laughs> For those who remember the 80s. God doesn't work like that. God wants you to feel love. He's a father who wants you to succeed. Jesus is able to walk on the waves because 
the waves are part of his creation and he is Lord over all creation. In case you missed this one, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's a pretty good statement. We need to know that He's God. When Jesus is present, peace comes. When Jesus is present, peace comes. Going back to our story in Mark 6, 51. He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished, uh, astounded. Look in verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They were astonished, they were astounded, rather, because they didn't understand about the loaves. What does that mean? Well, first of all, you need to know this. Jesus has calmed the the wind and the sea before. In Mark 4, verses 39 to 41, when he woke and rebuked the wind and the sea, said, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's already proved to them that he has mastery over the wind and sea. He is Lord over creation. He's already shown it to them. His walking on the waves is just further testimony that the wind and the sea do not have any effect on him. He's Lord over them. And they're not getting the message. It says, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now we use the line, hard heart, someone whose heart is hardened for someone who's unforgiving, someone who's in bitterness. But Mark uses it to talk about people who are in unbelief, lacking in faith, doubting. In Mark 16, for instance, it says, afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So a hard heart is a person who's not believing, who's refusing to get it, who's refusing to see how this whole thing works and start walking in faith. Mark takes this theme up again two chapters later. Mark 8. Now they had, they're in a boat again. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat, and he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember... He's already done miracles with bread. Who cares if there's only one bread? Notice this. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to him, do you not yet understand? And I'm saying to you, do you not yet understand? 
Do you not yet remember? They had been with Jesus when he's multiplying bread. And they said, oh yeah, Jesus, go for it, man. You can do this. Woo, Jesus is just multiplying bread. And now that they're out on the ocean without Jesus, Jesus is expecting them to have faith. He's expecting them to to, to learn the lesson of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened and they didn't understand. Your hearts are hard if you're not understanding. Okay, let me just ask a question. Who here has never, ever had God provide for them something unusual? You've seen the miracles before. You know God can do it. You've seen it in your own life. God supernaturally provides the money, the opening, the doors open, all of that. And yet, when we face the same test, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? We're in fear. We're in fear. We allow our hearts to be hardened, and we don't understand. Jesus is God. And he can do anything. The point of this lesson, of Jesus walking on the water, of Jesus passing by them, Jesus wanted the disciples to face that open or sea the waves and the wind without him. He wanted them to face it without him and to let them say, we are with the master and you are subject to him. Be still. And they didn't get it. They'd been dishing out supernatural bread all day long and they still did not get it. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to help connect the dots. I'm going to walk by them. And he only makes it worse. Okay, 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 stop your crying. I'm, I'm here. Have you ever tried to help one of your children out and you just made things worse? He's trying to do something nice here, and now everybody's upset. And I'm saying to you, don't be like them. Learn from their mistakes. Determine that you're not going to be babies. Understand this, a baby cannot feed himself. Here comes the airplane, here comes the airplane. What would happen if you were, you know, 19 years old and you still want your mom to feed you? Uh. We said, what is wrong with this kid? What kind of a parent just, you know, never taught him how to, you know, take care of himself? We actually don't blame the child, we blame the parent. God used to answer your prayers, yes, but he's not now. Why? Not because he is, you know, 
less loving. He wants you to stand up now. He wants you to walk towards him now. Doesn't mean that you solve the problem yourself. No, it means, though, that you start taking more spiritual maturity on yourself. He wants us to walk like mature Christians. He wants us not to be in fear. He wants us not to be in the flesh. We give way too much allowance for flesh in our lives. I talk to people all the time. They have to forgive people. I, say, I, I know what the Bible says about forgiving. You know, and I, need to, I know I need to forgive her, and I will. Right, well, let's, then let's do it. Then. No, I'm, I'm not ready yet. How much time do you think that's going to take? It's never okay. It's never, you, you don't get this sort of, you know, three-second rule or something, you know, just. We give ourselves too much allowance for flesh. And flesh only begets flesh. Flesh cannot produce spirit. If we're going to be walking in the supernatural, we need to allow Jesus to shove us off in a boat that's headed for a storm and we embrace it as a challenge. And we say, challenge accepted. And we're going to see this thing. I was told a story about the Catholic priest, the Baptist pastor, and the <coughs> Leaven Devord pastor. They're in the boats. And the, the Baptist pastor says, oh man, I actually forgot some cool drink on the shore. So he gets out of the boat, walks across the water, and gets the cool drink and comes back in the boat. The Levendevoort pastor says, hey, I forgot my sandwiches on the shore. He gets out of the boat, walks on the water, comes back. And the Catholic priest is saying, I don't believe what I've just seen. Two, these two men of God, and they're, they're walking across the water. They're going to think I'm just completely unspiritual if I'm unable to do the same. So summoning up all his faith, all of his courage, he says, yeah, I need to get something from the shore too. He gets out of the boat and sinks right down in the water. And the Baptist pastor says, maybe we should tell him where the rocks are. <laughs> and the leaving the bird pastor says, there were rocks? <laughs> so... <laughs> So you can be the guy that has no faith, the guy that has faith in his ability to do something natural, or the guy that can believe in the miraculous, something that just cannot be natural. We need to go beyond baby stepping here. God has called us to a greater level of spiritual experience. And we keep wanting to... We want to splash around in the shallow end of the pool, but we don't want to be calling it the shallow end. So we take the, the sign from the deep end and we place it on the shallow end and say, we're in the deep end. No, you're not. You're still in the safe end. You're not... You can still, you know... I'm going to lead us in a prayer of commitment. 
that is going to mean, if you pray this with me, you're going to be shoved off into a boat, into a sea that will have a storm. I'm giving God permission to bring storms into our lives. This is for sissy sea. Okay. Africa's not for sissies. Here we go. Let us believe that we're ready. And that when the storm comes, we do not cry out in fear, but we embrace it in faith. Let's pray. Rappeling. In the name of Jesus, as I have been preaching, I know I have been speaking to people who've said, it's time, it's time. I'm not going to be unbelieving. I'm not going to be hard of hearts. I am going to take Jesus' word. I'm going to take Jesus' commands. I'm going to take Jesus' call on my life seriously, and I will walk it out no matter what. I will not turn back. I will not forsake his word to me. So in Jesus' name, Lord, I say, bring it. Bring the test. We will not fail you. We are not hard of heart. We are not hard of hearing. We take your word to say, stand tall in the midst of the storm and we shall stand. We will throw off the chains of oppression. We will throw off the weight that has been holding us down. We will throw off everything that is of the flesh that has just hampered our spiritual growth. And we say, Lord, you are good all the time. You are merciful all the time, and you will lead us through that valley of the shadow of death to a table spread before us, even in the presence of our enemies. And we will feast. We will fellowship in testimony of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your kindness, of your glorious character. This is the time where we shall win in Jesus' name. Amen. As I close, I want to say this last thing. I asked God for a word for 2017. Maybe I should go back a step. In 2016, I asked God for a word for 2016. I said, Jesus, I want a word that helps expand my experience of you. And so he gave me John 2016, which says, it was where Mary Magdalene sees Jesus at the garden tomb. And she calls him Raboni. So all last year, I was calling Jesus Raboni, which means teacher. And I learned something really fascinating. You can't call Jesus teacher without him teaching you something. When you come to him as teacher, he teaches you. So I said, okay, Lord, I want a word for 2017. And so he gave me Luke 2017. Luke 2017, Jesus says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he said, this is the year that the rejected ones, the cast off ones, the discarded ones, the dishonored ones, it turns around. 
you become the chosen ones. You become the blessed ones. You become the honored ones. You become the ones that are placed where you need to be with responsibility to hold up the building. If you've been rejected, this is the time it turns around. This is the year. Receive that word in faith, believing it, because the storm's going to come and we're not going to get lost. We're not going to cry out. We're going to believe God. 